This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. It is the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. We are live, live, everybody. Of course, we've got to start, Greg, with the news of the day that everybody has been tracking. Odell Beckham Jr. What have you heard about OBJ and the Patriots? So what I've heard is the Patriots are in on it. They've had discussions with Odell's camp, uh, but they are not the only team. Uh, There are several teams that that have had discussions with him. I do not expect a decision tonight. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Beckham sort of pushes this a little bit. It could cause teams like I would think the Patriots would get out pretty quickly. Uh, I think they're the team that pretty much states their case and says, this is the deal. This is what we're offering you. This is what you can gain by coming with us. Take it or leave it. And uh, they don't want to be uh, dragged out because there were initials reports from like Jacina Anderson saying like it could be a couple days or he's going to take his time. I don't think a lot of these times want him to, uh, a lot of these teams want him to take his time. I think right. they want him in the building as soon as possible. I think the Patriots would love to have him on the field against his former team, the Browns on Sunday. Uh, and that's not going to happen if he takes his time. And we're talking, it's dwindling weeks now. What there's, uh, what is there? Eight weeks left in the season. Yep. Um, and you know, it's going to take him, him some time to get up to speed and all that stuff. So, uh, the Patriots are in it. I can't tell you whether they're the favorite or not. I don't know that. I know that in all my discussions with people around the team, uh, n- certainly nobody has come close to shooting it down that they would not have interest, which, uh, interests me. Cause, uh, normally if, if they're not going to go full boat into something, then they kind of soft pedal it. But I think they're I think they're fully in. I think they they realize uh, the type of acquisition that this could uh, how it could help them short term and long term. Uh, but, yeah, the Patriots are in this. Any idea how they feel? Not only, you know, if they're in it or not, but do they feel like they have a good chance, a slight chance, a great chance that we know they're at the table? But uh, do they feel good about the chips they have in the pocket? I think. The way I would term it is I think they they feel that they have a pretty good chance at landing him. That, you know, considering Belichick, where this team is going, uh, some of the the veteran leadership on this team, uh, I think they feel like they're in a good position to land Odell. And and I think I assume their their pitch would be convincing. Like, look, we're building something here. And look what we did for Randy Moss, who I'm sure Beckham has talked to. Uh, look at w- what we've done for other guys that are similar to you. You know, you haven't really gotten a chance to be really well coached, you know, and get consistent quarterback play and all that stuff. We give you a chance to basically write the the end of your career. And look, it can be a short term deal. Uh, you know, we can figure some things out down the line and uh, feel each other out. But uh, you coming here is the best thing for your for your career, whether it's in New England or not, you coming here and showing that you can you can succeed in our system uh, really benefits you. And I think I think that's a convincing case. But you know, look, there are other teams like the Packers, the Seahawks, the Chiefs. They can all sort of, they can all make very convincing arguments as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I look at the teams and I had a list of five that I tweeted out at Nick C Radio earlier today that makes a lot of sense. Some of it's been reported. Some of it's just kind of common sense stuff, Greg. Green Bay, Kansas City, Seattle, New Orleans, and New England seem like the five teams that are in this. Maybe there's somebody outside looking in that we don't know just yet that can creep in last second. I don't know if there's a Scott Boris mystery team out there that's involved, but those five teams make sense. So with all of that said, let me just ask you simply, do you like hey, one, it? Nick, one thing I did want to mention one, one sure. dark horse team for me, sure. uh, the Buffalo bills, um, yeah. you know, and I, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, um, but I know from, you know, sort of watching them while they need to run the ball and pass protection and that sort of thing. They need to figure things out. Uh, there is the sense, especially listening to, um, you know, Chris Sims talk week after week about the bills. He's been pushing for a while that he thinks that they need somebody else on offense. That, you know, while we look, us in New England look at the Bills and we're like, well, they're loaded. They got, you know, Beasley and and Diggs and, you know, Dawson Knox is a good tight end. And even their secondary receivers are pretty good. Uh, you know, Diggs is really the only difference maker in that group. And teams have taken the offseason to sort of game plan against them. And they've, you know, it's not like Diggs yeah. is not going off like he did last year. And all of a sudden you put Beckham out there, out there with Diggs. Yeah, pretty good. And so that's just one team I would keep an eye on. It's an interesting team to bring up because you mentioned Kansas City, uh, you know, very similar. If you look at what's going on with both of those offenses, Uh, defenses are now playing the cover two shell, the two high safeties against them. And they're forcing Josh Allen, much like they're forcing Patrick Mahomes to beat them with everything underneath, be patient, make the check downs and all that kind of stuff. And similar to Kansas City, you know, if you look at Buffalo, They have that one explosive guy in Diggs. Kansas City has the one explosive guy in Tyreek Hill. And we saw on Sunday, Green Bay limited Hill to four catches, 37 yards. And there was no explosiveness to that offense for Kansas City on Mm -hmm. Sunday. And Buffalo's going through some of those same things right now. I would say, though, Buffalo, at least they have Beasley. They do have Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe Sanders hasn't played as well as they were hoping he would. But, you know, Buffalo, when you look at how teams are defending them, it would make sense to have Diggs and then somebody else on the other side like OBJ. That makes it very difficult. Back to my question that I wanted to ask you a minute or two ago. Do you like it for the Patriots? Your personal opinion, should they go after OBJ? Do you like it? Why not or why so? I do. I came around on it. I wrote a column this weekend about it, basically stating the the case for and against uh, Odell Beckham Jr. to the Patriots. And in the end, I came out for and I was a little bit surprised that I did because he's he's not my type of guy. I, I am not I, I don't want I don't want to invite the headache, especially since I think I have um, growing something with this Patriots team, sort of reestablishing who they are. They've won three games in a row. Uh, you have a young quarterback. Why hit why put more on his plate than he already has? But here's why I came down on I think they should sign him and I I think they're going to make a very hard run at him. I look at more for next year and I I look at this as more of a tryout process to sort of see, because this season, look, could the Patriots make a Cinderella run and be the first team ever to go to a Super Bowl with a rookie quarterback? Yes. But history tells us it's not going to happen. You know, so the, the best you're hoping for really for the Patriots is a strong finish to the regular season, contend for the divisional title uh, with the bills sort of slipping here winning a game or two in the postseason, but really building towards next year. 
uh, when everybody's been, been in the program, they get a full off season, all that stuff. And I look at next year, the Patriots depth chart for wide receiver. We pretty much know that Nikhil Harry's going to be on, you know, he's going to be a free agent. Are they going to bring him back? I mean, maybe on the cheap, if he goes out there and he doesn't have anything, but th- they're not relying on Nikhil Harry for anything. And then you also have to look at Nelson Aguilar. Um, I don't think he's been bad so far. I've been, you know, he's been fine. Could they look for better? Could they say, you know what? That contract now doesn't look so great for the production that we're getting. Uh, remember, he signed a two-year contract, so they can get out of the contract next year yeah, uh, if they want to. And it, right. would, it would actually save them cap space. So say they go through the end of the season and they think that Aguilar is not a great fit. That they, if they if they get rid of Aguilar, they get rid of Nikhil Harry. All of a sudden, you're talking about two vacancies at wide receiver. Where are they going to get wide receivers from? They could sign one, maybe. They're not going to go top of the market for a wide receiver. They're they're not going to draft one that the, that is going to be plug and play. That's really never happened here. So to me, Odell Beckham Jr serves a purpose for next year that at least you figure out in these last eight games, is he a fit? Does he fit with the offense? Does he get the offense? Does he behave himself? All that stuff. So you say, okay, well, now we're going to sign him in the offseason. We have him for next year. And now, you know, he's our number one. Then you have, you know, Bourne. Maybe you add a, a slot receiver. Now, all of a sudden, you're really cooking on offense. And so for me, I say yes, mostly for next year. But I definitely want to see what he can do this year. I'm 100% a yes. And a couple of things about OBJ before I get some of the uh, thoughts from the from the chat members tonight. Again, we're going live here. Greg Bedard, Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. First of all, his time in Cleveland. I don't know how many people in New England especially have paid close attention to what's been going on in Cleveland. It seems to me that the perception of OBJ still lives from his time with the Giants and some of the stuff that he did with New York on the sidelines, like headbutting the net and and doing all those kinds of things and getting into skirmishes on the field. Honestly, with Cleveland, he hasn't really been that much of a pain in the ass. Yep. He really hasn't been. I mean, mm-hmm. from, from day one, when that trade was made, he was preaching about winning, doing things the right way. He had 70 plus catches, I believe his first year in Cleveland. And then it went downhill and, you know, he still wasn't an issue in the locker room. He's not a guy over the past couple of years. Of course, he got the ACL, but before the ACL and even this year after he came back up until his dad's video on social media, which apparently was, you know, his last shot at being traded. He asked for a trade. They said, no, he tried to push himself out. His dad got involved. Before Stephon that, Gilmore should have tried that last year. <laughs> <laughs> before, like before that point, though, before the end-all, be-all, when he knew he was out of there, he did go along with the program. He he wasn't mm-hmm. mouthing off too much, if at all. And I don't have much of an issue with a guy who was seen as a top five receiver in the game before he got to Cleveland. Now he's getting two targets a week to look around and go, I mean, what the hell? Like, it's not as if they were throwing him the ball eight, nine, 10 times. They were literally throwing to him once or twice a game. And I think a lot of receivers, we talk about it all the time, Greg, they're, they're divas. They want the football. That's what they do. It's awesome. It's asking an awful lot from somebody like Beckham 
to just be okay with two targets a week in a catch in 10 yards. Like that's not how that guy goes. He's, he just turned 29 years old. He, he wants to get going and produce and win. The second thing I would say is I've been thinking about this all day. I wanted to bounce it off of you. What is the Patriots pitch? Because a lot of what we hear is quarterback, 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 offensive minded head coach winning that kind of stuff. I think one thing, the Patriots, if you look at these other teams, one thing the Patriots might be able to pitch to him is stability. Mm-hmm. And when you look around, like the Bills have stability. If they're in it, they can do that. Kansas City, you know, even though they're going through some struggles, they've got Reed, they've got Biennemi, they've got Mahomes, they've got some stability. But when you look at Green Bay, is Rodgers going to be there next year? Right. I don't know. When you look at New Orleans, the reports are that Winston is not going to be the answer next year for them. Okay, so who's their quarterback? When you look at Seattle, Russell Wilson's been trying to push himself out for a little while now. So is Wilson going to be there? I mean, I think Belichick's pitch is, A, you come join the culture. You know what we've done in the past. But also, we want you to grow with Mac Jones. We know who our quarterback is for the next 10 to 15 years. If you want to build something, not for the next eight weeks, but for the next five years, you build it here in New England. How do you feel about that pitch? I like it. And and to bolster sort of your case for, um, you know, for Odell and and what he went through in Cleveland and about what kind of, you know, player he was and how he wasn't a problem. I mean, when I I watched a lot of film this week of him, this is a guy coming off ACL surgery. Remember, he didn't even play the first couple of games this year. He was coming back from ACL. He looks pretty good on the field. And and a year from now, he's only going to be better. He still looks very talented to me. He's quick down the field. Uh, to me, he has not lost his legs. Uh, he makes really tough catches, uh, 50-50 balls. He, you know, he'll, he'll go up and get things and give up his body. Uh, I do not see a whole lot of diva in his play uh, on the field, but I think you're right about the, the pitch for the Patriots. I think it's, it's stability, it's structure. To, to me, it's mostly coaching. To be like, you've never gotten coaching like this before. Look what right. we've done for all these other guys. You know, they've all become stars. They've all cashed in off the field. Uh, you know, we let you be you as long as you behave yourself, which you have in the National Football League. You've never, you know, really been an, an issue for anybody other than sometimes you get a little bit restless and you can be a little bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, but I think... I think the Patriots make a lot of sense for him. And, you know, if he does buy into the program, I think he could be an essential guy for Mac Jones going forward for, you know, who knows how long. All right, let's run through some of these chat questions for you or mm-hmm. comments and, and get your feel for it. Uh, from Kano, OBJ will uh, get more targets in New England than any other team. Patriots going to the Super Bowl on the low. Uh, what do you think about his targets? Because uh, Mike Larry also chats. He says OBJ would be the number one. Other teams, he'd be the number two. Uh, as part of that conversation that we're talking about, that Belichick, and it's been reported that Belichick has been in contact with OBJ's team. Is Belichick talking targets? Is Belichick talking about, hey, this is your role in this offense, and we know that you weren't getting the footballs. Is he touching that in these conversations, Greg? Nope, not even close. Yeah. I mean, he... He will, he will do what he always does. You know, let's get him into the building. Let's get him into the program. I mean, look at when Josh Gordon came aboard. You know what, Josh Gordon have like five or six routes like his first game. I mean, he's going to be have to be brought along slowly. We have no idea 
how he's going to be able to function in this offense with just eight games left. Yeah. I mean, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne have been at this since, you know, May and June, and they still haven't come close to mastering what the Patriots system is. Uh, I, I expect him, if he does sign with New England, they will have a package that hopefully, just like Antonio Brown when he came in here his first week, they will have a package of specific plays and how he does with that and how he does with the system and how he does in, in practice, it will either expand or it won't. He is not coming in here to be a, a number one receiver this season. I mean, maybe for the last three or four games he could be, but certainly not off the bat. He's going to have to earn what he gets here just like everybody else. And to me, I think it's, it's, a, it's an important discussion that we talk about like where he fits on this team. Yeah. At least initially – uh, from my understanding, you know, he's going to be sort of a spot receiver, you know, that they are going to put him out there to uh, put pressure on the defense in cer- certain circumstances, possibly open things up for other players. But, you know, really, he's a boundary guy long term. He's an ex receiver. That's who he is. That's Nelson Aguilar's spot right now. Uh, he won't be taking that anytime soon. But, you know, I've heard some discussion about him like, oh, well, he could play the slot for Jacoby Myers. He can't play full-time slot on this team. I mean, all you have to do, go back and watch this weekend, this past weekend against the Panthers, how much work Jacoby Myers as a slot receiver has to do in the running game in this offense. I mean, he has to take on linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks, and he hasn't been very good at it, but this is the same thing Julian Edelman has been asked to do, Wes Welker has been asked to do, Troy Brown. It's a physical position the slot receiver on this team. Can he play inside like when they go, you know, third and 10 and they're going four wide? Sure. But he's not going to be a full-time slot on this team. I can tell you that much. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, talk in the chat right now, and you guys and gals can continue to send us chat questions and thoughts. There's a lot of talk in the chat about, you know, Josh McDaniels' play calling, of course. He's always <laughs> been He's always been polarizing. But I would imagine there are some things – that they can do with OBJ if he does indeed, you know, decide to join New England. There are some things that you can do with him right away. I mean, there are some things route-wise. Okay, bubble screens, jet sweeps, slant routes, like simple wide receiver 101 stuff. And then, as you said, you can also send them deep out of different positions to kind of stretch the field and hopefully open up the underneath for the tight ends and, and the running backs. There are some things that you can do. I just wouldn't, you know, if, if Beckham decides to to sign with New England, I wouldn't say, okay, here comes, you know, 10 catches, 150 yards. I I think right. you, you've you got to kind of pace this whole thing. Uh, Zachary D'Amico uh, says, if he's a real difference maker scheme-wise, then you pitch utilization in certain situations against teams that lead to a Super Bowl. Um, so, so that's, you know, again, utilizing guys. And that's another point I wanted to bring up, Greg, quickly to ask you about. You know, one of the things that we've heard is that OBJ wants an offensive-minded head coach. Obviously, that's not Bill Belichick, but as you've said a lot on this podcast, Josh McDaniels is the head coach of the offense. So if if Mm -hmm. Beckham's looking at Matt LaFleur of the Packers, he's looking at Sean Payton with the Saints, he's looking at Reed with the Chiefs, he's looking at McDaniels with New England. How do you think McDaniels stacks up with those other guys? No, I think he's right up there with anybody else. And I'm sure, you know, guys like Randy Moss would um, certainly back that up. And there'll be, you know, plenty of guys that they could talk to 
that would back up, you know, how good Josh McDaniels is at his job. You know, you brought up um, sort of, you know, how they would use Odell. You know, one play that stands out from this past weekend against the Panthers that where I think he could make a difference and certainly help this team where they're sort of lacking right now is, you know, the strip sack on Mac Jones. Now, first of all, that was poor blocking by Hunter Henry mostly. He he allowed the, the Brian Burns to get to his outside shoulder. And when he had Isaiah Wynn inside, he should have overplayed to the outside, let him go inside uh, where Wynn was there. You know, but in any event, down the field, what Mac Jones, Mac Jones had Brandon Bolden, he probably could have just checked it down. But the main, the main person on this route was Jacoby Myers with Stefan Gilmore down the field. And Jacoby Myers came open. It was after Mac Jones, you know, got nailed and the ball was going. But, you know, Mac Jones was sitting there waiting there all day for Jacoby Myers to get down the field and make his break. And it just took way too long. You know, you yeah. put Odell Beckham in that circumstance and, you know, all of a sudden you, you have a play. The same play that Odell, uh, that, that Jacoby ran on the interception, that's a, a, a rub route where Jacoby got caught up in it and tried to avoid the guy to avoid offensive pass interference. And to me, Odell Beckham is just a guy who gets to the spot quicker and you don't have that interception. So, you know, those are two examples that stand out to me where, you know, he could basically walk out, I don't know about the first weekend, but certainly the second weekend. And he would play in a certain package and certain groupings uh, with their personnel. And I think, I think he would help. And that falls in line with Patrick Fulmer's question, asking if uh, Odell still has the speed. Is he still a burner? You said you watched him on film. His legs look pretty good. Looks like he can get downfield. Pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't say he's, you know, 24, 25 year old Beckham, but he's still pretty good in my mind. I mean, he's still, his legs look like they have good bounce. He gets up when he needs to. Uh, I think, I don't think there are any real, you know, physical issues with him. And the thing is, is he'll be even better next year because, you know, he had ACL surgery last year and, you know, getting that sort of rest, getting that recuperation, playing some, then resting it's only going to be better next year. So you've brought up a couple of times this idea of, you know, long-term, this makes sense. My question is, does that what, uh, is that what OBJ wants, right? Like, let's say the Patriots are pitching Beckham. Hey, listen, you get in here, the facility, you, you get to work with Mac. Mac's the long-term answer. Again, offering him stability, but we want you to be here in 2022. And if we bring you in, we want to bring you in for not just the rest of this year, but also next year. My question is, OBJ, does he want that? You know, is this a situation where he says, uh, you know, Bill, look, I want to I want to walk into the facility. I want to have some chemistry with Mac. I want to do what I can do on that field and, and help you guys win. But. I want to be a free agent at the end of this season. Like I, I want to reestablish my value and I want another bite of the apple in free agency. I wonder if that's what Beckham is thinking. Possibly. But if I'm the Patriots, I'm actually open to that. I mean, I, at least oh, I personally, I just personally, I just want to sign them through the end of the year. If there's some sort of option, as long as the Patriots have a way out, I'm fine with that. But if I'm the Patriots, I'm not, they already made this mistake with Antonio Brown. Uh, you know, with, you know, guaranteed money and all that stuff. And, and at least they got some of it back. But if I'm them, I'm like, look, just come into our program, you know, help us out for the rest of the year. Let's feel each other out. And then we'll reassess in the off season. And 
you know, I don't think there's a circumstance on any team where Beckham really, even say the Patriots lose out this time. I still think they can land him in the off season. Uh, I would like the trial period, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. By the time he gets up to speed with a team, there's going to be like five or six games left in the season. How good is he really going to do where it's going to increase his value all that much? And, but if I'm the Patriots, I'm interested in, you know, one year only, then we'll see. I'm not using a franchise tag because I need to use it on JC Jackson after the season, but I'm going just, let's just deal with the end of the season. Then we'll deal with next season when we get there. Yeah. Before we jump to the Carolina game, cause we want to break down that one as well. And what happened over the weekend uh, on Sunday, uh, I, again, I'm seeing some stuff about diva, you know, diva, this diva, that diva, this diva. I, I, and Greg, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of receivers in the NFL are divas. A, a lot of receivers want all receivers want the football when receivers don't get the football receivers, bitch. Uh, Greg has brought this up, you know, over the past several weeks, Nelson Aguilar has been bitching like consistently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you're concerned that Beckham's going to be this guy who's going to be complaining and bothering Mac Jones, you know, what Greg sees is a little bit of that from Nelson Aguilar already. So would you rather have, would you rather have OBJ's talent and him maybe bitching every once in a while or, or Ag- Aguilar is bitching every once in a while and his talent. And I would say again, and we mentioned this for people jumping in right now to, to watch this live. We covered this a, a little while ago. OBJ in Cleveland was not really a big problem. He, he wasn't complaining a lot. He wasn't causing issues through the media. He mostly went out there and kept playing and he just got frustrated. And I, I can kind of, you know, understand that when he is a receiver of his ilk, those guys want the football, man. And, and if you're not feeding them, if you're giving them two targets a week, they're going to get frustrated. And that was not just like a couple of weeks. That's really been going back since last year before the ACL. So I, I think OBJ understands where he's at. And I think he understands if he came into new England, he would have to get with the program. And so look, what that entitles is we know what it entitles. Yeah, I, I think that, look, um, the diva, the attitude thing is real. It never really goes away. A player is who they are. I yep. mean, look, Randy Moss was he was he was rough in his other spots before, you know, whether it was Minnesota or Oakland. And then he came here and he was great his first year. And it was great. They made sweet music together. Uh, I thought he was pretty good in, in 2008, too, with Matt Castle. I, I wasn't here. I mean, I, I was covering the Packers at the time, so I didn't see it up close and personal. Uh, so, I, I, But from afar, it looked like it went fine. And then I think it was, was it 09 or 10 that he ended up getting traded. Yeah, got off the rails there for a little bit. Went, went off the yeah. rails. And- <laughs> yeah, and so it's, it's good. Look, it's going to happen at some point. At some point, he's going to get restless. He's not going to like something. That's why... I want the short-term deal to feel each other out. And then the Patriots aren't idiots. They're not going to wed themselves to this guy. They're going to do the same thing that they did with Moss where, you know, when it gets bad, they can get out. But in the, I am not worried about – I know there's a lot of consternation among Patriots fans about, look, we're building a good t- thing. Mac Jones, you know, he, he, he looks like the real deal. He's got his head on his shoulders. We don't want to mess with that. I wouldn't worry about Mac Jones. Mac Jones can handle himself in the locker room. He was at Mac Alabama. Swag. Mac has swag. Yeah, he, yeah. he has swag. He was at Alabama with a, du- a bunch of different personalities. Uh, every All of his teammates swore by him. The Patriots still, as of this moment, still have a lot of strong leadership in that locker room. Matthew Slater's still in there. 
I'm sure he would get involved. Guys would keep guys in check. Josh McDaniels would keep them in check uh, as far as offenses, offensive meetings and stuff like that. I am not worried about Odell Beckham poisoning the whole thing. I just, yeah. I'm not, but you need, but you need to be smart. And you need to realize at some point in time, he is going to get restless. It's just make sure you safeguard yourself for when that happens. Yeah, I agree with all of that. My, my only point with the Cleveland time is I thought he was much worse in New York and it wasn't even relatively. <laughs> yeah. True. So, and I think people, when they think of OBJ, they think of his time in New York. They haven't been paying as close attention to his time in Cleveland. Chris Bayless wasn't pretty- he pretty good with with Tom Coughlin? I think he was pretty good with Coughlin, and then it was uh, yeah McAdoo. Then, I was gonna say the slick-haired car salesman Ben yeah. McAdoo. Yeah, yeah, that everybody. Guy. Well, yeah, if that guy coached you, you'd run all over him too. <laughs> uh, Chris Bayless says, "I doubt we'll have the best money to offer." Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg. This isn't really a money issue. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think any of these teams in the hunt are going to be looking to pay OBJ any kind of big time money. I mean, they're all going to probably be dealing with the same cake as far as that goes. Like, if you look at you know Green Bay and Kansas City, and I think every team is going to probably have the same you know kind of offer, which is, hey man, come in, play, prove your worth. You know, we'll give you whatever a, a million and a half, couple, whatever the vet minimum is, maybe a little bit extra more than that. And if you prove yourself, then we bring you back in 2022, and then we can give you a little bit more money. I, I don't think this is, and from everything that I've seen, it has nothing to do with money. That has not been reported. He got good money from Cleveland with with that restructuring of the contract. He's made like 70 million over the past few years. So you know, if you look at if you look at the money part of this. I don't think any team's worried about it. OBJ, according to multiple reports, people across from what I've seen, uh, you know, everybody is saying the same kind of stuff. You know, he's he's looking for an offensive-minded head coach. He's looking for a chance to win, and he's looking for a good quarterback that he can play play alongside. Those are pretty much the three things he's looking for. No one is really talking about money. All right, so uh, let's move on. I think we said our piece about OBJ. Something pops up. If anybody has questions, I know you guys are chatting in the uh, chat room. We can get involved with that. But we'd do a disservice if we didn't pay attention to what actually happened on Sunday. Before I get to the game, I feel like I've got to ask you the question, Greg, about the Mac Jones play. Did you think it was dirty? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I have not been asked that yet. Um, Did I think it was dirty? Um, I think dirty is a strong word. I think it was like maybe a little cheap. A guy, I didn't think it was out of bounds. I just thought it was a little, you know, in in the borders. I mean, I, I do think he knew what was going on a little bit. I think initially, the first grab I could understand. Uh, maybe he thought he was going for the ball, what have you. It kind of went on for a little bit. Uh, so that's when it looks like, you know, I just think he's a tough, hard-nosed competitor, you know, and and – you know, we all have that side of us where we're just we we want to win, and you know, we pushed the envelope a few times. I think he pushed the envelope a little bit, but I didn't think it was overtly dirty or anything like that. I think it was some of it was heat of the moment. He had just gotten hit. Some of it was him just being frustrated, probably taking it out on Brian Burns, a guy he has a history with, going back to high school. And uh, so I didn't think it was a big deal at all. Yeah, I think when we talk about dirty, I think you got to talk about intent. And yeah. I, I don't Stop think Mac. People. Yeah, I don't think Mac intended to hurt Brian Burns. I, no. I think I think he got hammered. 
and he was down on the ground. And maybe at first, I don't buy the whole, you know, Michael Hurley brought this up on Twitter yesterday, I think. It's tough to say after a certain amount of time that he thought Burns had the football because you could kind of see, you know, that you could see the angle that Mac at some point had to realize that he didn't have the football. Yeah, this is a pile going on like 10 feet away. Yeah, and and I think Mac Mac at at that point said, like as he grabbed his as he grabbed his foot, he said, "I'm not letting you get the football." Or maybe he did initially think he had the football, and he said, "I'm not letting you go. I'm waiting. I'm waiting right. for my teammates. You know, I'm waiting for my teammates to, you know, come in here and and, and tackle you. I'm not going to let you go. That 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 that's not going to you know happen on my watch." So he's grabbing out of the foot. The, the twist part is where everybody's losing their minds, and I, I've watched it a lot, and I think that Burns initiated the twist i think burns was upset that mac was holding his leg his ankle and i think burns tried to get out of it and he started that motion and i think mac went with it and that's what happened i mean i I think mac is one of the things we've talked about with mac is his upper body strength and lack thereof right everybody talked about how he's not the strongest guy in the world he's going to work on his body i don't think mac jones holding the foot of Brian Burns as Burns is trying to get away from him. I don't think Mac from his back is strong enough to start that, to initiate that twisting motion and get his body to spin around. I, I just don't think so. So I think, I think Brian Burns has been watching a lot of NBA and I think it was a move that Marcus Smart would be. Proud of. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think. And by the way, uh, the one thing that really pissed me off today before we move on to the game is this idea Yahoo Sports, I, I don't know if it was Schwab or somebody else, but they wrote, they they compared Mac Jones to uh, Indomitian and Sue. Oh. But I, I know, yeah. I know 2021 is, is hyperbolic. Okay. Yeah. And everybody's talking about hyperbole and all this BS. Do not fix your lips to say that Mac Jones is Indomitian and Sue. Indomitian and Sue has a long rap sheet of doing outrageous stuff stomping on people, kicking people, you know, it's outrageous that that was even brought up that that comparison was even mentioned is ridiculous. All right, let's move on. Patriots Panthers. Tell me what you feel good about after watching the film, Greg. Okay. So what I feel good about number one, um, that the Patriots, as opposed to early on in the season, when they couldn't even accept gifts from other teams, uh, they've, they now get to the point where they win mismatches convincingly. And especially down at this point um which is uh which is a change from earlier on in the season when you know we weren't really sure what the defense was going to do now we know look the chargers we knew could throw the ball they didn't run the ball very well patriots played really good pass defense the panthers run the ball really well they never want to throw the ball with sam darnold the patriots shut him down that's awesome now, do, do we know that they are they can play the same level of defense against a more balanced offense? We don't know that yet, and we will hope we will certainly get that answer probably against the Clevelands, the Titans, the Bills, those well, if, teams. If, if down Nick the Chubb plays, if Nick Chubb plays, maybe not with Cleveland if Chubb's out. If Chubb and Hunt are out, then. I hope he plays. Like I want to see, I want to see everybody at full go. Like I want to, you know, these are two these are two good teams in the AFC. I want them to go head to head and see what happens. So, you know, I, I, I hope he does. Um, 
So the Pats shutting nope. down one-dimensional teams pretty much. If you can't yeah. do more than one thing good, they're going to have your number. Yeah, which is which is progress for this team um, since the beginning of the season. And when we talk uh, number two, defense, yeah, I was going to say when we talk about defense, uh, <laughs> this guy's name is coming up every single podcast. And yeah, gosh damn it, he deserves it because he is slowly but surely becoming a beast on that defensive line. Please preach, Greg, about Christian Barmore. I mean, he's just every week, like you said, last three or four weeks, every week he's, you know, in my three up. He's just been uh, unbelievably impactful. He's been uh, tremendous. And and here's the thing, Nick, that stands out. And I'll just use the the pick six as an example of sort of his on-field awareness and things like that. I So that whole play, the Panthers are running outside zone. They're going to boot the other way. And basically what you're depending on, and the Patriots run similar plays to this, um, you're depending on the defensive line sliding with the offensive line because yeah. they have to still they still have to, you know, respect the run and and close down the gaps and stuff like that. And Barmore does that initially, but at some point, and I don't know what it was, maybe it was just sort of Sam Darnold turning his head to the right, but Barmore sensed it, read it, boom, saw that it was going to be a bootleg the other way and closed really fast, and that started the whole play. Darnold was running for his life. Then Judon comes on late, and Darnold just makes a god-awful throw instead of throwing it out of bounds, and they get the pick six. That's just you know one example, and that, that's been the most surprising thing, and it's the most surprising thing to people around the NFL, the teams that passed on him at the bottom of the first round who sort of questioned his football instincts on the professional level. And to me, I can tell you, ever since he got on the field consistently, the practice field um, during training camp, there's not been one time, preseason, regular season, or anything where I've looked at it and been like, he's not getting this, he's not getting that, he's not seeing this. It's been quite the opposite. It's been actually... He sees more than a lot of veterans do in this defense at that position. And so I've just been completely blown away every week by him. He is at times when you, when you watch him, he's a man amongst boys mm-hmm. and a ha- to have that kind of an impact in your rookie season. And we're not talking about like latter stages of the rookie season. No. We're talking like, you know, three, four weeks in, we're going, okay, this dude is legit. And he is, I mean, he's throwing guys around on the field. He's mauling double teams. He's pressuring the quarterback. He stopped the touchdown, too, earlier. Sam Darnold had Christian McCaffrey wide open, and Barmore deflected the pass to save a touchdown. I mean, he's a dude. Like, he is a dude. and He's a player that Patriots fans obviously are ecstatic about, and you should be, because when you see this kind of legitimate impact from somebody who's playing, you know, a sixth, seventh, eighth professional game. That means as long as he, as he sticks with the program, as long as he keeps working hard, he's going to be really, 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 really good. And as Dirty Dave says, Bartmore is that guy. He is that guy. And if you look at the snaps, you look at the percentage of play, the coaching staff knows. Because, you know, every single week he's playing more and more and more. I think he had more snaps than any of the defensive linemen this week on the interior. Uh, so they know they, Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick, everybody on that team now knows, okay, 
he's got to play. He's got to play a lot because he and Judon, that combination is allowing them to play some zone and get at the quarterback with four guys. That rush of Barmore in the middle and Judon on the outside, it is devastating, absolutely devastating for any quarterback because if mm-hmm. if Barmore pushes you on the interior and you start trying to get out of that pocket and here comes Judon on the edge, if they could find the one guy, you know, if UJ could play against the run, if they could find that one other guy on that edge, this defense, and I think, Greg, you talked about it, the trading deadline. We were surprised. But when you think it makes sense, the Patriots were looking for a defensive edge. Makes sense because if you've got Judon on one end, you've got a guy who's better than what they have right now on the other edge, and you've got Barmore pushing that pocket from you know inside, man, I mean, that would be a trio that's almost impossible to defend for an offensive line. So it kind of makes some sense. The run defense is better, no? Yeah, so there was a change this week and a welcome change uh, if you're a listener to this podcast where uh, the Patriots went out there to start the game and they also did this later in the game. No Dietrich Wise as 3-4 end. Um, At times (laughs) he was out there in sub package. you know, and I'm laughing so, because if you haven't if you haven't listened to the podcast a lot, one of the things Greg's been killing is the idea of trying to fit wise, you know, square peg in a round hole. So go ahead, Greg. Yeah. And so the, the change and there was another change, which was they basically demoted Devon Godchow from nose tackle and pushed him out to end. He basically took wise's spot and they put Gar- Carl Davis in at nose. And it was very effective. We saw what they did against the run this week. There was. There was a play. There was a series of plays in the uh, third quarter, I think, where the Patriots gave up. Uh, yeah, so the Patriots come out. The Panthers had the ball eleven fifty four. They come out and they had Dietrich Wise at end, and they had Devon Godchow at nose. They ran two plays like that. The 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 uh, the, uh, the Panthers picked up fifteen yards on both plays, nine yards, six yards. They then put the starting defensive line against the run out there with Guy Davis and Godchow and the next run went for no gain. I mean, I think the patri- the coaches are seeing it now. I was that was a welcome sight. Uh I that is their best run defense. They even put four linebackers on the field. It was a true 3-4. That's their best defense against a good running team and I assume we'll see some of that against the Browns if uh Nick Chubb can go. Yeah, they're figuring things out. One last one quickly. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson. <laughs> the the Bill Belichick can't draft thing uh, took a hit, I think, this year. Uh, listen, it's not to say that he was great the prior five years, but Greg, when you look at Mac, you look at Barmore, and then you look at Stevenson, that, that, that gear that he had on the 41-yard pass play, for a guy his size – to be able to barrel through defenders like he does, stiff arm a dude and practically throw him out the club, and then catch that pass and be able to burn through the secondary with a little bit of move too. Uh, he's kind of getting me excited, Greg. Got to get I know, me. Excited. I know. I I hope I, I hope he you know he, he he takes care of the ball and he keeps doing the right things because you know all of a sudden he was a healthy scratch and and I don't think it was just the fumble so. Hopefully he keeps doing the right things, you know, that the coaches want him to do so he stays in the lineup because when he's out there, I mean, it, I was blown away at how 
fast he was this week to go along with his size. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing the, the play that stood out to me, and and mostly this was the blocking, but you also saw speed on it and then the pushing the guy with the stiff arm. A 13-yard run to about the five-yard line. That was actually one of the few times where the Patriots actually really executed well. Christian Wilkerson comes off the practice squad and blocks two two guys on that play. Uh, Johnny Smith did his job. Teddy Karras cut Shaq Thompson. Uh, everybody was doing their job, hat on a hat, and then Stevenson barrels through like a freight train and then tosses the guy out of the club, like you said. <laughs> I mean, that, that physicality is just impressive. And if they can get those two guys going consistently – Harris and Stevenson, uh, they got something going. And that's not to say Brandon Bolden was really good and has looked quicker the past couple weeks, too. It looks like he's found the fountain of youth. So good stuff going on in the backfield. I'm eating crow about Bolden. I was one of those guys, man. I'm telling you. I, I appreciated his role on special teams, but I'm like, uh, you can't have him be like your your second or third running back. Brandon, I apologize if you're listening to this right now, which you're not. But if you eventually do, I apologize. You have proven me wrong. I mean, he has been a much better receiver than I thought he was going to be. He's got more wiggle than I thought he had. And as you said, he's got a little bit of explosiveness that I don't think we've ever seen from him. In Miami, he showed glimpses of it. But, I mean, I, I, I tapped on the dude, and I was wrong. So, again, my apologies. Okay, some things that we're worried about. Slow offensive starts, Greg. Yeah, I mean, they had a span, and I even saw you tweeting on Sunday about this, like about like it's a disaster or a debacle, oh and God, you weren't first, wrong. Oh my God, there was, there was a span of four. I went back and counted. There was a span of fourteen plays where they had just seven totally crap plays <laughs> in there, and could, that concluded, I think, concluded with the strip sack or something yeah. like that. I mean, they were they were literally a Keystone Cops on offense for a while there, and. You know, that's fine against the Panthers when Sam Darnold can't even, you know, he's afraid of his own shadow back there and, and can't throw it all. But against a good team, you do that, all of a sudden you find yourself down 14 nothing, and now you're playing from behind. I think this team, part of the reason why they've been successful on both sides of the ball is that, you know, they're, they're basically playing from behind, uh, uh, ahead or even, and so they could still play their game on both sides of the ball and not get yeah. out of what they want to do. If all of a sudden they find themselves down 14 nothing, you know, all of a sudden they take a few more risks on defense, on offense, and maybe it goes the other way. And so those kind of starts, just they can't continue. These stupid mistakes, you know, delay of game penalties on the first play of drives, <laughs> just it, it – it just can't go on. I mean, I've never seen that before with this team, so I have to assume it's going to get cleaned up, but woof. I mean, at least they didn't have 12 men on the field this week. That yeah. that was that was the improvement. That start, I, 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 I don't know how I didn't break something in my house in that first quarter. <laughs> Maybe it was because I was sitting next to Kelly, and she, she would not accept that if I did it. But yeah. man, oh man, that that was, you know, maybe a little bit younger Nick would have thrown a remote control across the room because all those penalties, I mean, it reminded me of like I was watching Chicago last night with the 17 offsides penalties. Like Robert Quinn was forever offsides. Like they didn't know how to line up at the line of scrimmage. And that felt like the Patriots O-line on Sunday to start that game. They, they figured it out. They got their ass in gear. But man, that was brutal. Uh, you're not really feeling John New Smith. 
Now he's still going through it. I mean, you know, his calling card is basically get the ball in his hands and watch him make plays. And I don't know about that anymore. I mean, he just, to me, he's the Brandon cooks of tight ends where, you know, he looks, he looks the part. He looks like an Adonis. He'll make a big play every now and then uh, to keep you captivated. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, you know, do they really make football plays, winning football plays for your team? And, you know, Cook's like, you know, him on, you know, the reverses and the, the, the leaping in the Super Bowl. And, you know, those are the type of plays that I'm talking about. And I see a lot of that in John. I mean, hopefully it's just part of him just going through a rough stretch with his confidence. And I thought he also had a drop in this game. I thought he should have he should have caught that ball. I thought his his footwork on that pass was not good that he dropped. And so he's still fighting it. And, you know, hopefully we see the best of Janu, but so far uh, we have not. I'm a sucker. I keep taking him with the over receiving yards and some of these same game parlays on these betting apps. I, I'm still like, I'm still biting for it. Like I'm still sitting there going, no, he's, he's a really good athlete. They're going to get good. him the football this week. He's going to have six catches for 80 yards. I mean, cause like, how can you not like the over under on these receiving yards is like 18 yards for him right now. I'm like, come on, Janu, you got to hit me with at least a 25 yard chunk play. Uh, Aguilar Gotchow looking down the road, Greg, what's going on with those two guys? Yeah, sort of, I sort of talked about it earlier, but, uh, you know, Aguilar, look, the season ended today. In my opinion, the Patriots would probably be like, all right, Nelson, Devon, it was, it was fun, but we're going to try to do better. Um, I don't think it's worked out to this point. That's not to say there's a half a season left. It could right. work in the second half of the season. They yep. could just be slow learners, what have you. So, you know, I'm not saying that they are terrible and they won't be back. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if the season ended right now, if I'm the Patriots, I move on and I look for better, including Odell Beckham Jr., wide receiver for uh, Aguilar, and Devon Godchild. They figure something out uh, more interior, get more time for Barmore. Carl Davis has been really good. He doesn't make much money. Byron Cowart will be back, we think, at some point in time, um, if not this season, next season. Uh, so I, I don't think their long-term futures here look good. Um, you know, Johnny Smith, however, they cannot get out of that contract. Those other two guys are on two-year contracts. They can get out of them. All right, so Patrick Seeley has a question. You think Mac looks mentally fatigued, and I ask you that because one of the things that you have – on your worried about section right here in front of me is uh, Mac Jones is treading water a little bit, Greg. Okay. So this was a point of discussion on Felger and Maz today. Um, I did Glad not I say that. He looks, yeah. I did not say that he looks mentally fatigued. I said that he has plateaued in recent weeks. Uh, in my opinion, it's also backed up by, you know, some advanced stats. One stat that I like to look at after games, just to get a general, it's a general tool is on uh, on the next-gen stats. They have a expected completion percentage based on, you know, you know I, I, how the, how's the coverage, how's the pressure, blah, blah, blah. And, and to me, it rings pretty true. I mean, so far this season, Mac Jones, early on in the season, uh, a, a 4.9, anything plus. Anything plus to me is good. Um, 4.9 was really good. I thought it was really good then. Uh, week two. 2.9, still good. Uh, the Saints game that they lost, that, you know, they no one really played well that game. He was a 0.7. Tampa, 4.6, that's good. Houston, 8.7, played well. That's when he started, you know, the upward tick. Dallas, 8.4, upward tick. 
Then all of a sudden, the last three weeks, minus 1.5, minus 11.7, minus 0.3. So, you know, I'm not saying Mac has been bad or he's trending bad or whatever. I just think he was going up and he's plateaued a bit. That's not to say he couldn't be great this week. He could. Yeah. And look, he played two really fast defenses in the Chargers that sped him up. I think that has continued this week. His protection hasn't been good. He got blindside hit. That'll speed up anybody. So I understand all that. But, you know, to me, there's no – and I got into the discussion of, look, Mac Jones played a lot in three preseason games. He, he played a lot in training camp. Yeah. He had a battle going on. He has played, what, nine games so far. That's 12 games. That's a, that's a college season. And, yeah. you know, and you add on the fact that these guys who come straight as rookies go from college ball and bowl games to combine prep and then, you know, into their, you know, draft meetings with teams and things like that and then into their regular team's programs. He's been going nonstop probably since August, since yeah. Alabama's camp. Do I think he might be a little bit fatigued? Yeah. And they haven't had a bye week yet. So none of this means anything. Other than I, I'm excited to see Mac get to the bye week, get a breather, reset, reassess, and this goes for the whole team too, and then see what they have for the rest of the season. But I do think that he's plateaued a bit, and I think there's evidence of that. Yeah, and uh, Patrick Seely, who brought up the idea, seems like you guys are on the same page. Uh, he, he mentioned he jumped back in and said, you know, he hasn't had any time off college this summer to season must be wearing on him. Uh, we haven't had a bye week either, as he said. So a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned, uh, he agrees with you. And I, I think or it, it a Thursday up, night, they haven't even had a Thursday night game where you coming get up. That, like 10 day off. Yeah, it's coming so up. That's another. So they get the 10 day turnaround on Thursday night and the bye coming up. So that's good for the Patriots and right. that they've held themselves above water. We got to race through three up, three down because we've gone much yep. longer than we thought we would. <laughs> but we're, we're having fun. Uh, yep. so we like to talk ball. So three up, uh, Christian Barmore, Ramondre yep. Stevenson, uh, two guys we've already talked about. So if you want to mention uh, Matthew Junon, he again makes the list. He is a consistent three up guy this season. Yeah, I mean, and, and he was really good, especially in the second half. I mean, so good that I left J.C. Jackson off, a guy who had two interceptions, including a pick six. I mean, I just thought that I thought the work that Judon and Barmore and Stevenson did was a little bit more individual in nature and I thought you know JC made the plays I'm not saying that you know he didn't have a good game I just was more impressed with those guys three down uh Jacoby Myers makes the list yeah Jacoby had a really rough one um you know I he, he bobbled that pass on third down um you know I have him for two minus run blocks I think he was at at least partially at fault on the interception he had a false start he had another poor run block uh, he had a, he had a tough time in, in this game and he's probably another guy considering this is the first time he's ever done it. That slot receiver role on this team is a lot to ask for physically. And I bet he's feeling it a little bit. Uh, we talked about Johnu Smith, so we'll skip him. Yep. Uh, Jelani Taivai. Yeah. He played five snaps. His first snap, I think it was his first snap. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You know he had to be the drizzling shits if he played five snaps and he made your down list. Yeah, 
like I think it was his first snap. He was responsible for like the 53 yard Chuba Hubbard <laughs> catch and run. He completely like dropped into coverage in the wrong area. And it was just like the C part. I was like, come on, bro. This defense has done a good job all day. You come in here and you blow a coverage uh, on your first snap. So I, had- uh, well, he deserved it as long as he deserved it. Yep. Uh, the boss of sports show.com member question of the day, by the way, I saw in the chat, somebody asked, why am I not on EEI anymore? That's a question for EEI, not me. Uh, boss of sports mm-hmm. member question of the day, 39 99 on the annual plan. Not only do you get top notch analysis of all the Boston pro sports, if you're a patch junkie, which you are, uh, then the membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis. Bedard does on the coaches film and direct access to him in weekly chats. All righty, Greg. Give me a question that the peeps have been asking you. So uh, the question or statement from Packers boy was, could they have both the AFC offensive and defensive rookies of the year? Jones and Barmore add in Stevenson. And if Perkins, the injured linebacker from Michigan and safety from Missouri could be, it could be the best draft class in 20 years. Uh, all right. The, the rookies have been good, but let's, let's settle down a little <laughs> bit. I, I think that, I think that Mac Jones, depending on how the Patriots fare, has a better shot at offensive rookie of the year. Look, it's going to be Micah Parsons on defense. It's his to lose. Um, he, he, you know, he's got the Dallas, you know, highlight, uh, you know, television appearances and all that, and and he's been talked up all year. And Jamar Chase has been pretty damn good. I mean, I think Mac has a chance if he leads them to the playoffs. Uh, and they contend with the Bills, and God for if they win the AFC East, then yes, Mac Jones should be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Outside of that, I think he's got a tough case, but he's he's certainly in the mix. I would say both guys have earned the the, the opportunity to be in the mix. I think you can look at this class and just be excited about it. You know, we we haven't seen yep. Perkins yet, and you know. <laughs> If he could come around and you have Perkins and Judon on each end, and then you've got Barmore in the middle, uh, you know, the secondary, they got to get figured out. I think Miles Bryant has played really well uh, since he's been out there. He, he's just super physical. He's not a big guy. But man, yeah, he can lay the wood. He can lay the wood. So uh, I like Miles Bryant. Uh, you know, JC Jackson had a great game on Sunday. We should mention him. We didn't mention him. Uh, he's, he's been fantastic. And maybe we'll get into this a little bit more, Greg later in the week when we get ready for the Cleveland Browns. But the idea that this defense has been playing a lot more zone over the last few weeks, kind of an interesting development. And uh, it, it really started when Jonathan Jones, you know, went out and, and he got hurt. And, and then you're dealing with other injuries. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing they've been doing defensively. But, hey, look, we talked about this. We're not always right, Greg and I, but we, we try to be reasonable people. When we talk about this mm-hmm. football team, and we mentioned this, Greg, you know, a lot of people were getting down early on. And, uh, you know, I was probably five seconds away from tweeting out something outrageous. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, I held my fingers back. I didn't press send. And we talked about this. We talked about this stretch. And this was the stretch, right? It, the, if you looked at it, scheduling, you'd say, okay, well, they've got, you know, they've got the Jets. They've got. You know, the Chargers, they've got Carolina, they've got Cleveland, Atlanta. If they can make some noise during that stretch, they will be mm-hmm. in this thing. And so far, so good. 3-0. 3-0. So 3-0. So they're, they're making a little noise. They're finding themselves defensively. They have, I think, found their offensive identity as, as long as Stevenson 
and uh, Harris get the head stuff figured out if they're okay. Uh, they're, they're trending in the right direction. So uh, it's good stuff. I'm sure we'll have more good stuff to talk about with the Cleveland Browns. It's a big game coming up on Sunday. We appreciate everybody who spent time with us. Uh, he is Greg. I am Nick. We'll be back to preview the Browns later in the week. Everybody have a great night. Be safe. Be good. Till then, we'll see you later.